Welcome to the podcast of St. Basil the Great Catholic Church in Brecksville, Ohio, with homilies, talks, and interviews relevant to your Catholic faith. God bless you and enjoy. Good evening. Uh, thank you for having me. Um, it's really a privilege for me to be here with all of you this evening. So I was invited to come tonight to talk about prayer. And the way that I'm going to approach this is to talk to you not so much about how to pray, but what happens when we pray. And to open up, hopefully, some new horizons for you as to what is possible as we grow in our relationship with God. And I'm going to be doing this primarily by looking at the teachings of St. Teresa of Avila, the Carmelite saints. So the Carmelites are a particular religious community within the Catholic Church tradition. And the Carmelite saints have had a huge impact upon my own life and my own relationship with God. Uh, from my time as a junior in our college seminary, St. John of the Cross and St. Teresa of Avila have had a significant impact upon my own relationship with God, and their teachings in a particular way have helped me, I think, to grow in my relationship with God and also to experience um, what's possible in prayer. And for Teresa especially, she understands prayer as the foundation for growing in friendship with God. If there's any theme that comes out in her writings over and over and over again, it is the fact that God is calling us to live in a friendship, in a real relationship with God. And if you think about any love relationship that you have in your own life, whether that's with a spouse or your children or a really good friendship, you know that there's a whole process of growing in that relationship. The person who is most central to your life right now, the human person who is most central to your life right now, chances are there was a point in time in your life where you did not know that person. But somewhere along the way, you met, you became acquainted with each other, you grew in knowing who each other was, maybe you fell in love, maybe that falling in love led to a particular commitment to that other individual and then continuing to grow in that relationship. And the great saints of our church, the great mystics of our church, the great teachers of prayer of our church invite us to come to experience prayer and our relationship with God as a real friendship. So I wanna share with you some of the teachings that come from the writings of Teresa of Avila, how we enter into life and to prayer by growing in our friendship with God. Maybe just to give you a little bit of background, if you don't know anything about Teresa. So Teresa lived in the 15th century. She was a Spanish saint. She was a woman to be reckoned with. She was a powerful force for the reform of the church and for the reform of her own religious community in 16th century Spain. Uh, my brothers and I had an opportunity to do a pilgrimage to Spain in the summer of 2019. And so these are actually some pictures that, that I took while we were uh, on, on pilgrimage. So Avila is a medieval walled city. 
the whole city is surrounded by these massive walls, these massive crenulated walls. And it looks very much like a castle. This is the very first foundation of Teresa's reform of the Carmelite community. I'll talk a little bit about that in a moment. This is uh, the monastery of St. Joseph. She had a deep devotion to St. Joseph. So even though she herself was a woman, her primary saint that she would go to was the foster father of Jesus because she herself felt, felt a deep call to be a protective, if you will, force in the life of the Carmelite community, um, to really watch over the kind of reform that she believed Christ was calling for her own religious community. This is actually uh, a photo of an original uh, writing of hers, and I just have this here to let you know that you don't have to have good penmanship to be a saint, because she had horrendous penmanship. I don't even know how the translators were able to translate her works. Um, so just a, just a little bit of a brief biography about her. She was born on the 28th of March in 1515. She was born into an upper middle class Spanish family. She lived a very comfortable life. Her, her parents provided for her and her siblings. She was born into a very large family. Um, they lived a very comfortable life. And so she kind of grew up in a life of privilege. In her own autobiography, she says that, you know, in her early life, you know, she was a typical girl, especially in her teenage years. You know, interested in boys, interested in fashion, you know, interested in jewelry, interested in makeup. Um, she was a, a little bit of a rabble rouser, so much so that at one point her parents were very concerned about the other young people she was hanging out with. Any of you who have teenagers and have raised teenagers, you, they may have similar concerns, uh, you know, about some of your kids. Um, they actually shipped her off to a, a school run by a group of nuns, hoping that the nuns would be able to kind of tame her down a bit, which nobody was really able to do. Um, probably one of the most dramatic experiences of Teresa's young life happened at the age of 13 when her mother died. Um, and this was a huge loss to her family, but especially a huge loss to Teresa because she was very, very close to her mother. And this brought about the beginnings of kind of a shift in the way that she kind of looked at the world because she felt a lot of pain from this and, and really kind of struggled with this whole idea that, that her mother had been taken from her and especially in her early adolescent years when she really needed her mother to be present and to be a source of guidance and advice for her. And she felt as though, you know, her mother had kind of been ripped away from her life. It was between the ages of 13 and 20 that Teresa began to really reevaluate her life and began to focus more on her faith life. She was raised in a very faithful home. Her parents were very dedicated to the church. Her mother was very close uh, to the church and very close to God in prayer and taught all of the kids, the importance of prayer. But it wasn't really until after her mother died and Teresa begins to reevaluate her life that she really started to grow in her own faith life. 
And at the age of 20, she decided that she wanted to become a Carmelite. The female branch of the Carmelite community are basically cloistered nuns. And at the time when Teresa was living in Avila, there was a huge monastery, the Monastery of the Incarnation, that housed almost 200 nuns in this cloistered community. And this is the community that Teresa decided she wanted to join. She literally ran away from home in order to join them. Her father was totally opposed to her uh, having a religious vocation. And in fact, her father even sent relatives to drag her back from the monastery back home again. And it took her father a year or so before he would let her voluntarily go and join the Carmelite community. But around the age of 20, uh, Teresa was really showing the signs of wanting to pursue a religious life. On the 2nd of November in 1536, she was clothed with the religious habit of the Carmelites. And on the 3rd of November, a year later, she became a professed member of the community. The following year, in the fall of 1538, uh, she developed a very serious illness. She had kind of a rather frail physical constitution. And as a result of her developing this very serious illness, the community basically sent her home. They were not going to take care of her if she was going to be seriously ill. So they sent her home, and her father sent her off to live with some relatives where she would be closer to some medical doctors who might be able to figure out what was going on with her. But for a period of years, from 1538 until the spring of 1542, Teresa experienced this very serious illness that oftentimes left her bedridden. She had already become a member of the community, but now she's out and she's living, you know, with relatives and struggling with this physical illness. Eventually, after having recovered from that illness, which she attributed miraculously to prayer, she went back to the Monastery of the Incarnation, rejoined the Carmelite community and continued to, to live her religious life. At the age of 39, in the year of 1551, during the season of Lent, she was walking through the monastery hallways and came across this statue of the H.A. Homo. So this is a statue depicting when Christ was brought before uh, the crowds by Pilate after he had been scourged and is in the process of being condemned to death. So when Pilate says, H.A. Homo, behold the man. She probably walked past this statue hundreds of times in the time that she was in the monastery. But on this particular Lenten day, she walked past the statue and it became a moment of grace for her. She was so overcome by what she saw of the sufferings of Christ that she literally got down on her knees in front of the statue and she said to the Lord, I am not getting up until you give me the grace of conversion. My religious life for the 19 years I've lived in Carmel has been something of a failure. Now think of this, she's living in a cloistered community for 19 years where the community is coming together on a regular basis to pray, to celebrate the Eucharist, 
to engage in spiritual activities, spiritual reading, community activities. She's been doing this for 19 years and now has come to the realization that she has simply been going through the motions, that she has not really come to encounter the presence of God in her life. She's been praying. She's been doing everything that she needed to do in order to live a religious life, but she has not really experienced the presence of God in a significant way in her life. And so she recognizes what Christ has done for her in being willing to suffer and to die for her, and she begs for the grace of conversion, which Christ grants her. And this begins the movement that brings about a great change in her life. Over the course of the next six years, she comes to recognize that Christ is calling her to reform her religious community. She's living in the monastery of almost 200 nuns, feels as though she's only been living life on the surface, not really encountering the presence of God. As she continues to reflect upon what Christ is now doing in her life, she comes to the realization that he's asking her to reform the religious community. And so she resolves in 1560, in the month of September, to reform her own order. And she begins to enter into dialogue with her religious superiors to bring this about. After two years of dialogue, she's finally given permission to go off and to start her own monastery, a reform of the Carmelite order. And she takes four other nuns with her. She is not going to have a massive monastery with hundreds of nuns. In fact, in Teresa's uh, reform of the Carmelite rule, she will not allow any more than 22 nuns to live in any one of her communities. She believed if you're going to enter into friendship with God, you also have to be able to enter into friendship with other human persons. And it's hard to have a friendship with 200 people. You know, regardless of what people say about how many friends you have on Facebook these days, you know, how can you have real friendship with people that you never get to really know? And so she was convinced that Christ was calling her to start relatively small communities where the community itself would be able to enter into friendship. During the time that she was uh, the superior of this community, she ended up founding 15 other monasteries around Spain that were based upon the reform of the Carmelite order. So she was really a force to be reckoned with. She dealt with the king and queen of Spain. She dealt with uh, the papal nuncios from the Vatican. She dealt with all sorts of politicians. She dealt with the rich and the poor. She was somebody who was very much engaged with other people in the world. She was not just kind of locked away in her monastery. She was about accomplishing the mission that Christ had uh, asked her to accomplish. She died at the age of 67 in 1582. Uh, in 1622, she was canonized as a saint in the Catholic Church. And in 1970, Pope Paul VI declared her to be a doctor of the church. She was the first woman to be named a doctor of the church. And that what that means is, is that her teaching has a universal application. 
It isn't just for women religious. It isn't just for people who live in monasteries. What she has to say about prayer can be applied to each and every one of us. We can find you know, great um, insights into what it means to have a real friendship with God from her writings. And so Paul VI held her up as somebody who can speak to us in our world today and to our own life experiences. There are four primary works that Teresa wrote during her lifetime, the book of her life, which was essentially her autobiography. She was asked by her spiritual director to write the story of her life so that others might come to know how God had changed the course of her life and how she had come to experience the presence of God in her life. It's in the book of her life where she begins to lay out some of her teachings on the experience of prayer. The Way of Perfection was written the year that she began the reform of the Carmelites and founded the Monastery of St. Joseph. The four nuns who went with her to St. Joseph's uh, asked her to write for them a little book on prayer. So this is Teresa's primer on prayer. So this particular book is a good introduction to her understanding of what happens as we begin to develop a relationship with God. The book of her foundations is basically the story of how all of the monasteries that she founded came about. And then her great masterpiece on prayer is the interior castle. Remember those pictures that I showed you of Avila at the beginning? and how the whole city looks like a castle? Well, that was the image that Teresa used to talk about what does it mean to enter into relationship with God? What does it mean to enter into relationship with God? That each and every one of us has, if you will, an interior castle. Our soul is a castle that has many mansions in it, and Christ dwells at the center of our soul as the king in his throne room. And see, she used an image in which she herself lived, the very city of Avila itself. Um, these two books, The Way of Perfection and The Interior Castle, um, if you're interested in reading these, the Institute of Carmelite Studies, which is based in Washington, D.C., they publish these books, and they have study editions which means you get Teresa's text and you get a commentary on the text as well as reflection questions. They're a real good introduction into, uh, into Teresa's writings. What I want to focus in on tonight is Teresa's teaching on prayer and what does it mean to live our lives in union with God? What does it mean to live our lives in union with God? Um, in Rome, there is a church that has a very famous depiction of St. Teresa in ecstasy. Um, as a mystic, she oftentimes experienced the outpouring of God's presence into her life in such a way that she was literally overcome by that presence. That she was literally overcome by that presence. And a great sculptor, Bernini, kind of tried to capture this experience of Teresa encountering the presence of God and God kind of lifting her into sort of this rapturous experience that oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes happens in the lives of the, of the mystics. 
So we begin to explore what Teresa has to say about prayer and living life in union with God by allowing Teresa to answer for us the question, where is God? Oftentimes when I give talks on prayer, especially if it's a group that I'm with for the first time, one of the things I will oftentimes ask is, when you pray, to where do you pray? And I'm not looking for an answer out loud here, but if you just think about that for a moment, when you pray, to where do you pray? Notice I didn't ask you to whom do you pray. I asked you to where do you pray? So when you sit in your favorite easy chair at home, and you pull out the scriptures to reflect upon God's word, or you pull out your rosary to pray the rosary, or you pull out your prayer book or some spiritual reading and you enter into some reflective time or some prayer time, to where do you direct your prayers? Or when you go into church, maybe before Mass, or maybe you stay in church after Mass, and you are there praying, to where do you direct your prayers? You know, I think for most of us, especially as we sort of begin our journey into relationship with God, we're directing our prayers out there someplace. You know, you sit in your favorite easy chair and you think about God in his high heaven, like God is somewhere out there at the furthest reaches of the universe. Or we go into church and we direct our prayers to Christ present in the Eucharist and the tabernacle or we reflect upon the image of Christ hanging on the cross, or maybe there's a particular saint who is depicted in the church in a statue or an icon, and our prayers are kind of directed there. I think for a lot of initial prayers, when we pray, we're praying to somebody out there someplace. Teresa advises otherwise. So in the book of her life, in her autobiography, in chapter 40, she writes this. Consider the Lord as very deep within your souls. Such a thought is much more alluring and fruitful than thinking of him as outside oneself. And some books on prayer tell us about where one must seek God. Particularly, the glorious St. Augustine speaks about this. For neither in the marketplace, nor in pleasures, nor anywhere else that he sought God, did he find him as he did when he sought him within himself. Within oneself very clearly is the best place to look. And it's not easy to go to heaven, nor any further than our own selves. For to do so is to tire the spirit and distract the soul without gaining much fruit. For looking for God way out there someplace, chances are we're going to end up tiring ourselves out. <laughs> Teresa says, you want to find the presence of God? Go deep into your own heart. Go deep into the reality of your own being, because that's where we're going to find God. This is confirmed by what we believe about the sacramental life of the church. When you were baptized, God chose to join God's life to your life. God filled you with God's own life. God chose you as his own beloved son and joined his life to your life. At your baptism, you became the dwelling place of God. Father, Son, and Spirit dwell within you. I think a lot of times 
we may have a difficult time believing that. I mean, why would God want to dwell in me? I know my life. I know the struggles I've had, or I know my own weaknesses, my faults, my failings. You know, I'm nobody special. Why would God want to dwell in me? Because God loves us. God loves you. God has chosen you. God desires to be with you. If baptism, God, join God's life to your life. If you remember when you were confirmed, more than likely you were told, you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? You are the dwelling place of God. God dwells in you. And every time we celebrate the Eucharist, we feast upon the very presence of God. We enter into communion with the body, blood, soul, and divinity of the Lord Jesus. We become living tabernacles. Every time we celebrate the Eucharist, our very reception of the Eucharist becomes a reminder and a deepening of the reality of God dwelling in us. So Teresa and all the great saints of the church, the great mystics and the great teachers of prayer, tell us if you're going to go looking for God, You don't have to go any further than the depths of your own hearts because God has chosen to abide in you. And that's nothing more than the fulfillment of the promise that Jesus made us. You go back and look at John's gospel when the disciples approached Jesus as he was talking to them and teaching them about the Father, and one of them says, well, you know, Lord, just show us the Father, and that'll be enough. And Jesus' response was, I've been with you all this time, and you still don't get it? To see me is to see the Father. The Father and I are one. The Father and I are one. And those who hear my word and keep my commands, to those the Father and I will come and make our dwelling place within them. Jesus' own promise. The Father and I will come and make our dwelling place within them. And we will give you another paraclete, the Holy Spirit who will be with you always. Indwelling presence. So Teresa wants us to recognize that by God's choice, God dwells within us. That intimate presence of God comes to us and dwells in us by God's choice. This is not something that we have accomplished. It's not something that we have earned. It is not something that we deserve. God comes to dwell within us by virtue of God, an intimate indwelling presence. Now, you might wonder, how was it that this uneducated, upper-middle-class woman, you know, who had all these struggles in her own life and who lived in a monastery for 19 years before she finally decided she needed to do something more serious about her relationship with God, How is it that she's able to say anything to us about God, prayer, our relationship, and what happens as we grow in our relationship with God? Um, Teresa, in her own life, says we should not be surprised that the Lord makes a little old woman wiser in this science of prayer than the theologians. 
She had what theologians today call a doctorate in experience. She may not have had a formal theological education, but she learned from the very presence of God what it meant to live in relationship with God. And she says herself again in the life, her teaching on prayer will come from what the Lord has taught me through experience and through discussion with very learned men. So one of the great things about Teresa was that she never took her own experience of God at face value. She always went to others that she trusted, that she believed were wiser in theology and wiser in the spiritual life to have it tested out. So she would go and she would talk to other people. So like St. John of the Cross, who was also a Carmelite that Teresa had uh, invited into the reform of the Carmelite community, she trusted in his witness and his teachings and his guidance as she tried to continue to grow in her own relationship with God. And that should say something to us as well, you know, that we should also rely upon other wisdom figures in our own community, in our own lives, you know, not just to trust our own experience, but always to be willing to bring that before the teachings of the church, the experience of others who may have more wisdom or experience than ourselves, to be willing to kind of test out the waters of what it is that we ourselves experience of the presence of God. When it comes to Teresa's own journey in prayer, if you read the book of her life, her autobiography, she talks about two major periods journeying in prayer. An 18-year period that was difficult, okay, so... Maybe some of us can think back upon our own life journey, and maybe there is a point in time in our own life journey where prayer was not easy, or maybe even non-existent. When Teresa went through that period of time where she was experiencing serious illness, she abandoned prayer entirely. Remember, she was already a professed member of the Carmelite community, but she abandoned prayer entirely because she was like, well, where is God in the midst of all of this? Here I am, you know, miserable, this illness, you know, debilitated, not able to live in the monastery I wanted to live, you know, forced almost to be bedridden in, you know, not even my own house, but living with other relatives and just feeling sorry for herself. Totally abandoned the experience of prayer. So there's an 18-year period where she found prayer to be very, very difficult But there's also a very long period of time in which her own life was permeated by the grace of God, where it wasn't so much what Teresa was doing as far as prayer, but what God was doing in order to reveal God's self to her. We think we're the ones who need to make it happen. You know, and I think, Lee, I think especially as men, we can kind of get into the attitude that I have to accomplish something, you know, and prayer can become that way. You know, it's like, I got to get my prayers said, or at the end of the day, I can check off the fact that I spent some time reading scripture, I prayed the rosary today, and it's like, I've accomplished something. And thinking that that's enough, when in fact, What needs to happen is for us to allow God to accomplish in our lives what God desires to do. This is not so much about what we do 
as much as it is about what God desires to do in our lives and our own willingness to cooperate with the movement of God's grace. Teresa talks about, in the book of her life, three major problems that she had in the experience of prayer. And these may sound familiar to you. Um, she was unable to meditate due to distractions. You know, I would bet the vast majority of us, if not all of us, experience times when we're distracted in prayer. You know, maybe we go to prayer and we want to be focused on the presence of God and we find ourselves thinking about everything that's taken place during the day that we didn't get done. We think about all the stuff that still needs to get done. We think about all the problems and the worries and anxieties. You know, when I talk to people about their experience of going to Mass and the celebration of Eucharist, I hear the same thing. I go to church, I want to be there, I want to be focused, but I find my mind wandering and kind of going all over the place. <laughs> Teresa had the same experience. A lot of distractions in prayer. Um, a second problem that she recognized in herself was living in a way that was incompatible with the union with God that God desired for her, uh, for Teresa and God to have. So living a, a way of life that was just simply incompatible. Well, how could you live a way of life in a monastic cloister community that would be incompatible with what God desired of you? Well, in this monastery where she lived, if you came from a wealthy family, you brought your servants with you. So Teresa had people to look after her needs. If you came from a poor family, the community expected you to go out in the streets and beg for alms to support the community. There was not a sense of equality within the monastic community that Teresa joined. If you came from a life of privilege, you continued to live that life of privilege. If you came from a life that was less than privileged, that was kind of marked out in the community as well. So Teresa living in that community for 19 years and just living at the surface, you know, it was just shifting from her comfortable home lifestyle to another comfortable lifestyle within the context of the monastery walls. Okay. What about ourselves? You know, I think many times we can find in our own lives things that are incompatible in terms of the choices that we make and the choices that we know God wants us to make. The struggles that we have with our own weaknesses, our own faults and failings, our own experience of sin. Or maybe it's just you know, coming to the realization that if we're going to be serious about our life of prayer, that's going to mean we're going to have to dedicate time for that. If this is a relationship, like any relationship, it's something you've got to work on. You know, so you get to the end of the day, and it's like, all I want to do is sit in front of the TV set and veg. When in fact, you know in your heart of hearts, I have to dedicate some time to God also. How am I going to make that happen? Okay, so where are the incompatibilities in our lives? And then Teresa also talks about the experience of drudgery in prayer time. And that's the word she uses, is drudgery. You know, you go to prayer and you want it to be really good and nothing seems to be happening. You know, there just doesn't seem to be anything happening. You kind of wonder, was well, God even listening? Does God even know what's going on? You know, what would make this better? You know, and just feel as though, you know, you're not getting through anything. You may set aside the time for prayer and think, you know, this is going to be a great 
15, 20 minutes, half hour, and you're five minutes into it and you're already done. It's just like, like nothing's there. So Teresa talks about these three major problems that she herself experienced in her own life, but then she also gave what she considered to be solutions to these problems. So she says, don't hesitate to use a book, spiritual reading, in order to deal with distractions. So if you go to prayer and you find your, you find your mind wandering all over the place, don't hesitate to pull out the scriptures or to pull out a spiritual book that you happen to be reading and spend a few moments just doing a little reading to help you to refocus. Don't spend your entire prayer time reading because then you're just filling the prayer time with something else when this is supposed to be a time of entering into conversation with God. But if you need something to kind of help you to refocus, don't hesitate to pull out a book. She said that oftentimes um, she would be able to deal with dryness and drudgery in prayer too by pulling out a book and using a book or the word of God as a way of kind of priming the pump. Sometimes she would pick up something to read and it would just kind of spark an idea in her that would lead her to further reflection. And so she says, don't hesitate to use something that's going to help you to be focused or that might help you to, you know, deal with the drudgery of prayer that comes up. Um, just don't spend all your time reading, but allow, allow it at least to begin to be acting as a springboard for your experience of prayer. She said when it comes to the lack of integrity in life, so when we find something that's incompatible, so she had this great time, this great period of time during her illness where she just abandoned prayer for more than a year. What got her out of that is a relative of hers telling her, you need to be praying. You need to be praying. You need to get back to prayer. Even though it may not seem like you're getting anywhere, persevere. And exercise the virtue of humility. Humility is not standing around beating our breasts saying, I'm a horrible person. I'm a big fat sinner. Why should God want to bother with me? Humility is being able to stand before God in the truth and the reality of who we are. Loved and still wrestling with our own weaknesses and faults and failings. To be able to stand before God and simply to be able to say to God, here I am. Take me as I am. Help me to know that you are working with me. Help me to know your presence. So persevere and come before God with a humble attitude that says, this is not about me. This is not about what I'm doing or what I can accomplish. God, this is about you and what you desire to do in my life. Teresa also encourage us, encourages us to use images of Christ. So to pray before a crucifix, to pray before an icon, to pray before a statue, anything that helps to develop a deeper sense of devotion or affection for Christ. If you have a favorite image, 
not to hesitate to use that in prayer to help you to call to mind, you know, the experience of God. Um, Back in the summer of 1988, um, I was ordained in 84. Um, In the summer of 1988, my dad had uh, retired from his profession as a paint chemist in the spring of that year. Um, he was, it was a forced retirement because the, um, the chemicals that he had done with for, had worked with for so many years had had an ill effect upon his lungs and his heart. And so he was in failing health. And that summer of 1988, I had been asked to direct a retreat at the St. Joseph Christian Life Center when we still had the diocesan retreat house up on Lake Erie in Euclid. And the, um, the retreat was a retreat that was based upon the teachings of Teresa of Avila and John of the Cross to help people to come to a deeper experience of the presence of God in their lives. So one of the exercises, the prayer exercises that we did on that retreat is I gave everybody a prayer card that had an image of Christ on it. And it was just the face of Christ. And I told them, I said, you know, I'm giving you this prayer card. I want you to carry this card everywhere with you for the next 24 hours. Do not put it in a book. Do not put it in your pocket. I want you to hold it in your hand. And I want you to carry it with you for the next 24 hours. And use that card as a way of helping you to be mindful of the fact that Christ is with you always. He dwells in you. And here's a concrete sign to help to remind you. And I said, and then tomorrow, after we've done this for 24 hours, we're going to come together and just reflect upon what that experience was like. So these 30 retreatants who are on this retreat, they're, you know, walking around the retreat house, going to meals, going to their rooms, you know, coming to prayer times. Everybody's carrying their little card with them. The next day when we come together, I asked him, so what was the experience like? You know, what was the experience like? And one person, you know, raised his hand right away and said, you know, I was doing really well up until this morning because I got up this morning, took a shower, got dressed, came down to breakfast and realized I left Jesus up on the dresser in my room. And he said, you know... I do that so often in my life. I forget he's with me. I forget he's with me. And somebody else said, you know, I was doing really well too until last night at dinner. You know, I went through the serving line and I've got Jesus in one hand and a plate in another hand. And, you know, I'm trying to juggle things and get over to my table and I end up dropping a glass of water on the floor. And I came to realize there's a lot of things I'm juggling in my life. And sometimes I get too focused on what's going on over here and forget that I've got Christ with me. And there were lots of stories like that. Of people coming to a new realization of like, yeah, Christ is with us always. But what is it that kind of gets in the way that leads us to forget We no sooner finished that session when the director of the retreat house came into uh, the room where we were all gathered and said to me, you know, Father Mike, it was Father Mike at that time, 
Uh, one of your brothers is on the phone. He needs to talk to you right away. My dad had gone into the hospital at the beginning of that week. I had wanted to cancel the retreat, and my, both of my parents had said, no, you made a commitment to this, you need to do this. And three of my brothers and my dad's sister were all on that retreat with me. When I went to the phone, my brother James was on the phone and he said, Mike, you need to come to the hospital right now. Dad's taken a turn for the worse. By the time we had gotten to the hospital, my father had passed away. And my mom was sitting at his bedside. The rest of my brothers were all gathered there. I came into the room with three of my brothers and my dad's sister. And I went up behind my mom and put my hands on her shoulders and she began to talk about just what a great husband and a great father my dad was, and indeed he was. He was a real saint. And she looked up at me and she said, where's Thomas? He's the youngest. Tom had just graduated from high school and was getting ready to enter into Bormail College Seminary um, to pursue a vocation to the priesthood. And Tom had been on retreat with us and mom said to me, where's Thomas? He's the youngest. He's only known your dad for 18 years. And Tom was kind of standing off in one corner of the hospital room. And I walked over to him and I said, Tom, are you okay? And he just looked at me and he held up his hand. And he had that card that I had given to him in the retreat with the image of Jesus on. He's with us all the time. And sometimes we need those kind of concrete reminders of how Christ abides with us. So Teresa says the most important thing that we can do for our prayer lives is, first of all, simply desire Christ. Desire to be with him. Desire to know him. If we have that desire, that's a gift. That's a grace. It doesn't come from us. It comes from God, who's inviting us with an attraction to enter more deeply into relationship with God. I would have to believe that all of you are here tonight because you have a desire to grow in your relationship with God to grow in your experience of Christ's presence in your own life, to grow in a life of prayer. She says that that desire can be fueled by books and images, as I've already said. In the book of her life, she said, I tried as hard as I could to keep Jesus Christ, our God and our Lord, present within me. And that was my way of prayer. Notice she doesn't say, reading scripture, praying the rosary, doing the liturgy of the hours, going to mass. She did all of those things. And all of those things were an important part of her experience of prayer. But the foundation for all of those was this whole thing that Teresa had come to realize. If we can simply keep in mind to be consciously aware of the abiding presence of Christ with us, that will change everything. It will change the way we experience the celebration of Mass. It will change the way that we experience any kind of devotional prayer. It will change the way that we read the scriptures. 
If we can simply grow in that awareness, that conscious awareness that Christ is present with us and within us, and that becomes her foundation for prayer, is always trying to keep this in mind. So keeping Christ at the center. So she says she endeavors to represent Christ within herself. And she's not talking about, you know, sitting down in the quiet with your eyes closed, kind of imagining Jesus sitting inside of you. It's not that kind of use of imagination. Because Teresa herself said she could not meditate. She was, it was absolutely impossible for her to use her imagination in prayer. You know, she just was not good at that at all. But what she would do is to bring to awareness the nearness of the indwelling Christ with her. The Christ was being present to her always. And she would try to place herself in Christ's presence. So, you know, it's beginning with this attitude. Well, Christ has joined his life to mine. God has joined his life to mine. God dwells in me. God's nearer to me than I am to myself. St. Augustine said, God is nearer to us than the beating of our own hearts. God is more present to us than every breath that we take to maintain life because God chooses to dwell in us. So she said, you know, she always tries simply to be aware of the nearness of Christ. Okay, and it's not a work of the imagination. It really begins with sort of an attitude. You know, think about somebody that you deeply love and maybe that person has to go away on a trip or somebody that you haven't been able to be with very often. But when you bring that person to mind, there's a sense of that person being with you as you call that person to mind. There's something deep within you that connects you to that person. That's what Teresa is talking about. It's that kind of love relationship that connects us with the presence of God, with the presence of Christ. What Teresa came to realize in doing this is that her experience of prayer was no longer a movement of her going to God, but rather God coming to her, God revealing his presence to her, God making himself known to her. And I would be willing to bet that most, if not all of us in this room, at some point or another in our lives have probably had some kind of an experience where we just knew God is present. Somehow God is with me. You know, might have been a moment of deep peace. It might have been a moment when you realize some strength in the, met in the midst of, a, of an intense struggle that you don't know where that strength came from. You know, it may admit a moment when you were feeling, you know, great hope, when you shouldn't have been feeling hopeful, and you just find yourself wondering, well, where did that come from? The presence of God, the grace of God. So Teresa comes to realize that as we grow in our relationship with God, it becomes less and less about us doing something to find God, and instead it's about God coming and finding us. St. John of the Cross, in his teachings, says, for as much as we may think that we are moving closer to God, 
God is always moving closer to us. It's not so much about what we do. It's about what God desires to do in our lives. So God's solution for Teresa was, you don't have to worry about all of this stuff. You don't have to worry about whether you're growing in a life of prayer or not. You don't have to worry about what you're doing. Let me do for you what you cannot do for yourself. So there were times when Teresa would feel herself overwhelmed with the feeling of the presence of God that would just come upon her unexpectedly, not even necessarily when she was praying. Maybe when she was just engaged in doing the normal activities of everyday life, washing the dishes, cooking for the other members of the community, engaged in conversation, and she would suddenly be overwhelmed by a sense of the presence of God, just knowing God was there. And never doubting, this is really God. This isn't me. This isn't my imagination. This is real. God is real, and God wants to be with us. This is the beginning of what Teresa calls supernatural prayer, because it's not what we're doing, it's what God is doing for us. This was an intensification of Teresa's awareness of the indwelling presence of God and that this is primarily God's work. It's what God desires to do in our lives. So when it comes to this, we need to keep in mind that God's initiative is always first. God created us. God wanted us to exist. God holds us in existence. If God stopped thinking about you, you would just simply vanish right now. But God continues to maintain us in existence because God's gaze is always upon us. So God is the one who initiates the relationship always. God initiated creation. God initiated salvation through the incarnation of Christ and his life, death, resurrection, and glorification. God initiated sending forth of the Spirit into our lives. It's always God who works first. And God invites us into relationship, and then we're called to respond. So Teresa says we need to keep Christ present. This is what we ourselves can do. And in fact, that's all we really need to do, is just to keep Christ present, to be mindful of the fact that Christ is with us always. God is with us always, Father, Son, and Spirit. If we can do that, um, what we will come to recognize is that, in fact, Christ is making himself present and known as a gift that is independent of our own efforts. There's nothing more that Christ desires than to be in relationship with us. And if that's what he desires, why would we doubt that he would do the very thing that he desires for us if we will simply let him do it? Make yourself known. Reveal yourself to me. I'm here. I'm open. I want to be in relationship. But you need to do this, Lord. You need to help me to know that you are with me. So Teresa says, remain at the side of the master who taught this prayer to us. This is part of her advice to the sisters in her community. Remain at the side of the master who taught this prayer to us. This whole idea of just keep him close to you. 
She says, when you do this, pay attention to whom you are speaking. Remember, humility. We're dealing with our Lord and Savior. We are dealing with the infinite God. We are dealing with the God who loves us more than we can possibly imagine. And we need to stand before God humbly, recognizing how much God desires to do on our behalf. So remember to whom you're talking. We don't have to convince God to love us. We don't have to convince God that we're worthy of God's love. This past Sunday, on the solemnity of Christ the King, uh, our Lord Jesus Christ, King of the Universe, we just heard that gospel of Jesus hanging on the cross with the two thieves on either side. You know, and the one thief is before Christ in absolute honesty and reality. I got what I deserve. This is a just punishment for me. But then he turns to Jesus and says, remember me, Lord. He was probably a murderer and a thief. Obviously, he must have led a horrible life. Otherwise, he wouldn't have been hanging on the cross. And yet in that moment of humility, standing in the crucified in the presence of Christ, remember me, Lord, when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus accepted him. Why wouldn't he do for us what he desires to do for us? So Teresa says, remember to whom you're speaking. And who are you speaking to? A friend. You are with a friend. You are with somebody who loves you, who desires nothing but your good. So keep in mind that you are in conversation with a friend. That's really Teresa's uh, definition of prayer. It's conversation with a friend. That's what prayer is supposed to be. The sharing of hearts. Us talking to the Lord and allowing the Lord to talk to us. She says if we do this, we will get very accustomed to having him at our side. So much so that after a while, you'll not be able to get rid of him. You're going to end up finding him everywhere. I mean, there are times when we would probably like to believe that the Lord is not with us and does not see us and doesn't know what's going on in our lives, you know, and those are times we'd like to run away. Um, but Teresa says, no, he's with us all the time. And the more you become aware of this, the more that's going to have an impact upon your life. So much so you'll never be able to get rid of him, no matter where you go, no matter what you're doing, no matter who you're in conversation with. It's going to be like he's always there. This is what Teresa calls the prayer of recollection. Oh, sisters, those of you who cannot engage in much discursive reflection with the intellect or keep your mind from distraction, get used to this practice. So if you can't do meditation, if you're distracted all the time, don't worry about those things. Instead, Keep calling to mind, Christ is with me. God is with me. God has chosen to dwell in me. (laughs) God is always near. I don't have to go looking for God anywhere deeper than my own heart. She also tells us, pay attention to your own moods and feelings and affections. What's going on inside of you? What are you feeling? Because she says, this can help us in looking at Christ and being near him. 
So if we find ourselves being joyful and thankful about something, you know, we're going to prayer. Imagine that we're there with Christ as the risen Lord, rejoicing in the life that he's won for us. Share our joy with him. Let him share your joy, his joy with you. If you find yourself struggling with something or sad about something, then imagine being with Christ in the garden where he himself is struggling, you know, where he too is sorrowful and sad. If you find yourself frustrated with things that are going on in life, be with Christ in his frustrations. There's more than one occasion in the gospel where he looks at the disciples and he's like, how long do I have to put up with you guys? You're just not getting it. You see him, you know, fully human, getting frustrated with what's going on. Don't hesitate, you know, to to allow that to be experience of your prayer. Um, At the heart of Teresa's teaching from her experience then, keep in mind the indwelling presence of Christ. She says, in the way of perfection, if I had understood as I do now, that in this little palace of my soul dwelt so great a king, I would not have left him alone so often. Christ is with you all the time. Christ is with you all the time. Okay? So keep that in mind. Because she says, when we do this, we will be led from the prayer of recollection to what Teresa calls the prayer of quiet. And the prayer of quiet is the beginning of the contemplative experience of God in our lives. It's where God is revealing himself to us as that abiding presence in our lives, where our insides begin to quiet down and we begin to experience an abiding sense of peace and joy because we're in touch with the divine presence that dwells within us. And ultimately, it seems to me, this is something that Teresa says we can all come to experience. You know, we may think, I'll never be a mystic, I'll never be a saint. But in fact, this is our destiny. It either happens in this life or in the next. And if it can happen in this life, why wouldn't we want to desire it? But the path to this experience, this contemplative experience of God, really begins with this idea of becoming recollected and remembering Christ is within me. God is within me. Christ is with me always. No matter where I am, no matter what I'm doing, no matter who I'm with, Christ abides. For years, for the 38 years that I've been in priestly ministry, one of the things that I've challenged people to do is to pray a very simple prayer. But I also warn them, and I warn you, it is also a very dangerous prayer. Lord, help me to be more consciously aware of the gift of your presence in my life. Help me to be more consciously aware of the gift of your presence in my life. That's essentially what Teresa is inviting us to. That will change everything. Pray that prayer consistently, and I guarantee you, money-back guarantee, 
Within six months, your life will not be the same. Because if we grow in our awareness of the abiding presence of Christ with us, it will change the way we look at life. It will change the way we live out our relationships. It will change the way that we understand what's most valuable in our lives. It will change everything. So Lord, help me to be consciously aware of the gift of your presence in my life. And that's all I got. <laughs> We hope you enjoyed this audio from our parish. You can find other homilies, talks, and interviews at our website, basilthegreat.org, or by subscribing to this podcast in your favorite app. Just search for St. Basil Catholic Church, Brexville. St. Basil the Great, pray for us. <laughs>